So the big question is this, how do young men like us, who didn't listen to society, who are on our own, how do we grow and improve ourselves so that we can live a better tomorrow? That is the question, and this show will give you the answers. My name is James Radzinski, and welcome to The Ascend Momentum Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back, everyone. Today was something special. Let's talk. So this morning I woke up and I tracked my bolt score. So there's this new thing that I'm doing where... Let me give a backstory first. The first book, the first nonfiction self-improvement book that I read was called The Oxygen Advantage. And it was a book about how to breathe properly and basically the correct way to breathe and why you should breathe better and all that. And then I read some more books and then eventually I read another book about breathing called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. So I became pretty well knowledgeable in breathing more so than I was at least. And the biggest takeaway that I got out of it was to nose breathe and to chew, like chew foods is good. Chewing foods is good. So nose breathing is the biggest thing that I got. And also to mew, which is basically good tongue posture and keeping your jaw straight. And I'm glad that I took that out, but I know, and I always knew that I wasn't doing all that I could be doing for breathing, but I just focused on other things. And now that's not necessarily bad, but it's just how it was. And then one day I got an email from Lost Empire Herbs, which is the company that I bought my pine pollen from, and I got added to their list, their email list. And let me give uh, context. So in the marketing business, you can actually, people, businesses build email lists, which are basically lists of emails that they can send emails out to. And that's a very high value asset. And sometimes people can pay a company to send an email to their list. So if person A has a 1 million people on their list and then person B wants to communicate with that person's list, then person B can pay person A a certain amount of money to send an email to their list. So that's basically what this one person did and he sent a email to Lost Empire Herbs list. And I was on that list. So I got an email from this one guy and it was a email about breathing. And basically the method he used in that breathing was to ask or was to go get the reader to go through an exercise which tracked their bolt score. Now a bolt score is what I learned about in the oxygen advantage and it basically tracks how now I don't know the exact science or the exact things, but it basically tracks how tolerant you are to carbon carbon dioxide. And it tracks how healthy of a breather you are, how healthy your breathing is. So my first time I got the first time I tracked my bolt score when I first read the book, maybe a year ago probably a little less than a year ago. My score was, I think it was like four, four seconds. And then when I tracked my score, when I read that email, it was seven seconds. And that's simply because I just didn't focus on improving it. But I knew what the healthy amount was when I read that the book a year ago. So I know what the healthy time is. And let me tell you, the average 
healthy person should be at at least 40 seconds. And I was at seven seconds. So I realized that with my background knowledge and this this sign that I got, this message that I got from this person, I realized that I need to focus on my breathing and make it better. So I clicked on the link that he sent and it was a webinar. So I signed up for the webinar and I've been, I've been, I actually studied webinars and good webinars. So I understand like how they work and so I didn't really bother to watch the webinar one because I was in bed, but I could have watched the replay, but I didn't bother. So I kind of skipped around and then I realized that he was, he was, uh, there was one thing that he said, the first step is to track your bolt score every morning. So I was literally just, I clicked on the link to the replay link the next day. This was last night after the, after I recorded the podcast last night and I clicked on the replay link and skipped around because it was two and a half hours long and I did not want to watch it all. So I skipped around and I saw one of his slides that said, track your bolt score every single day. And then I remembered reading, I'm pretty sure it was in Russell Brunson's marketing secrets, black book. And he said that whatever you track or whatever you measure grows. So if you track your total revenue in your business, that will grow. If you track your number of sales per week, that will grow because you'll be focusing on it and then you'll make actions. You'll take steps towards improving it. So as a result, I'm now tracking my bolt score every morning. So I got out a sheet of paper before I went to bed last night and wrote down measure bolt score with a colon. And then I wrote down the date, which was the 25th of August on the top left. And then I put that piece of paper next to my bed with a stopwatch. My, it's the same stopwatch that's in my bed already that I use for meditation. It's a alarm clock or it's a, a timer mixed with a stopwatch. You can buy it on Amazon for like six bucks for two of them. And I always use that for my meditations and my breathing and all that stuff. So I decided to put it next to my bed or even closer to my bed so I could reach it because the most optimal time to test your bolt score is first thing in the morning, right when you wake up, because that's when your breathing is least uh, like affected and least it's when you're, it's most normal, most subconscious. So this morning was the first morning that I tracked my bolt score and I got 11 seconds which makes sense because I just woke up. So I was a lot more calm than I was the day that I tracked it the uh, the other day through his email, which was seven seconds, but 11 seconds still sucks. And I was reading in the oxygen advantage a long time ago. He was saying like the different types, the different ranges of time, the different ranges of seconds, if you have zero to 10, you're like extremely unhealthy breather. And then 10 to 20 was like bad. And then it was, and then like 20 to 30 was okay. And then 30 to 40 was decent. And then 40 was healthy, normal. And then like 50 to 60 was like better. And then it is just like, Above 60 is like great. So if you can go 60 seconds. Now I just realized I didn't even got I didn't even tell you guys what the bolt score was. So I'm gonna explain what the bolt test is. So the bolt test is a way to measure how healthy of a breather you are, how healthy your breathing is. So 
the way you take the bolt test is you breathe normal. So you don't want to be inhaling more or you don't want to change your breathing. Just breathe normal. Just breathe how you normally do. And then go in and then out normally. So you don't want to go, you don't want to change it. You don't want to consciously change your breathing. You want it all to be normal, how you normally breathe. And this is not about like, this test is not ego. This test only works if you're completely honest. And there's no reason not to be completely honest because if you're like most and you're an unhealthy breather, there's no way to cheat it because there's no way you're going to get to 40 seconds without other people being able to tell that it's obvious that you're cheating. And, but let's keep going. So you breathe in and then you breathe out normally on your exhale. You just breathe out until you normally would breathe back in. So you go in, out, in, out, but on the out, Right before you go to breathe back in, don't breathe back in. Just hold it out and then hold your breath on the exhale. So you have no oxygen in you, but don't push out all the oxygen on purpose. You want this to be as natural as possible. So I'll do it right now. I don't know if you guys could hear it. I have audio things, but I basically just did normal breathing in and then out. And then on the out, I hold it. And then you hold it for as long until you have the first urge to breathe. So this is not a contest to see how long you can breathe. This is a con this is to measure to track. This is a test to track how long it goes into until you need your first urge to breathe. So your first urge is not when you're convulsing. Your first urge is literally when you have the desire to breathe again. And so for me, it took seven seconds or 11 seconds. And I assume most will get a similar response. If, and I mean, when I first did it, it was four seconds. So don't even, like even one second is like, that I could see that happening. Don't even be ashamed because I mean, everyone starts low usually. So once you take that and you hold it until you have your first desire to breathe, you just breathe in, you note the time that you got, and then just breathe in and then start breathing normally. You should be able to get back. If you did it correctly, you should be able to get back to normal breathing like right away. You shouldn't be panting to try to catch your breath. You should be back to normal breathing right away and normal rate, normal pace, everything. So that that's a test and you should take it every day. And today's the first day that I'm taking it. And I'm you're, you, the best time to take it is right this first thing when you wake up. And it's only an extra like 10 seconds. And usually I wake up before my alarm clock anyways. So it's really no reason not to do it. Let me get some water. So what to do with this information? You're like me and you have a really low score like below 40 below 30 below 20 below 10 you have a really low score you're gonna want to do some you're gonna want to consciously breathe better now i don't know the it's been a long time since i've read the books and to be honest i am not in the situation where i really care to research again on how to breathe so I'm just trusting on my memory and going from there. Now, the best, this I know for a fact, um, in the Oxygen Advantage, he said that the best way to breathe, the perfect breath is 5.6 second inhale and a 5.6 second exhale. So go in for 5.6 seconds and then out for 5.6 seconds. So usually I just go six seconds in, six seconds out. I just count one, two, three, four, five, six. And then on six, I just 
hit it. So it's usually around 5.6. Don't stress about the exact time. And do not take deep breaths. That is what the guy who I watched, who I got the email from, that's what he said. Don't take deep breaths. And I can see why that is true. I'm not sure if it's true 100%, but I do remember reading something like that in the Oxygen Advantage or the Breath, the New Science of the Lost Art. So deep breath is like, like all the way in and then all the way out. So, and that's like what I've been doing all summer. I've been going deep, like, cause I read it in the way of the spirit man, but you're supposed to take 5.6 seconds in 5.6 seconds out, but it's, you're supposed to be slightly oxygen deprived. And I heard my friend say that Hamza said that he is constantly slightly oxygen deprived because he consciously breathes all the time. He's consciously breathing all the time. And so he is slightly oxygen deprived all the time, which I believe is the ideal. Now, don't take any of what I'm saying to be advice because I don't know any of this stuff. I'm just telling you what I'm saying. So what I do in the morning is I meditate and then I, while I'm meditating, I focus on counting Six, six seconds in, six seconds out, and I get oxygen deprived. So I'm, I'm breathing in as little as possible. So I'm breathing in as quietly, as softly as possible. Because I remember hearing a story in one of the two books that I read where ancient masters of martial arts, they used to be judged on, how, on their breathing, they knew that breathing was so essential and breathing was a huge part of the martial art. And they would have they, they would put a feather underneath their their nose. And if the feather moved, then they would basically lose points or they would lose. And so they'd be f- like kicking, jumping, like exerting themselves with a feather underneath their nose. And their breathing was so light that the feather did not even move. So their breath was so soft through their nose where no one even knew they were breathing. And I remember hearing in the book, one of the books where the goal is to get to the point where no one even thinks that you're breathing. No one even can see your, your body moving. The goal is to get to the point where you are breathing so quietly and softly to where no one can even see your body moving like your chest puffing up or your belly going out so what i've been doing is in the morning i during my meditations i would focus on breathing 5.6 seconds in 5.6 seconds out but i would go soft i would try and restrict my breath to where I could still survive. I could still like breathe and get through it, but it would just be slightly uncomfortable. And I would feel that carbon dioxide building up. And that's, that's the goal I believe is to build up resistance to carbon dioxide. I'm pretty sure it's carbon dioxide. I don't even know whatever, CO2. I think it's CO2. I don't even know. Whatever you exhale out of your breath, I think it's carbon dioxide. Let me get some water.
so let's talk the next thing. That was this morning. And I... Today was a good day. I went, I studied transurfing. And let me actually talk about that. So since I'm not very good at visualizing, I there was a point where I thought I had aphantasia, but I don't think I have it anymore because I can visualize after like 20 minutes of sitting at it. I just think that my visualization is like extremely weak. And I, and even when I do get to the point where I can like kind of sense an object, I can't see it vividly. So that's why I thought I had aphantasia, which aphantasia is basically where one cannot even visualize like their mind's eye is blind. And that's what I thought, but I just have to work at it. And that's all there is to it. But and then I read this morning because one of the parts, one of the pieces of transurfing is to visualize your slide, which is basically visualizing you doing something in the near future and having achieved something. And I like was bummed because I kind of missed out or I could visualize it, but it just takes a lot more energy and work. And so I kind of just don't really visualize that often. But then I read in the heart and mind chapter. I'm pretty sure it was that chapter or it was slides. I don't know. And it was called soundbite slides. And it's basically a auditory slide. So it's a slide where you say, speak with words out loud or in your, in your mind. Cause I can say words in my mind very easily. And it's basically a, an affirmation. And there are some requirements that go along with it. Like you have to feel the emotion. Like you have to feel that feeling. You have to feel the feeling. You can't just be like, it can't just be a, a redundant. You can't just say, I'm confident. I'm confident. I'm confident. If you, rep- it's, if you s- say the affirmation once with feeling it, that is worth more than saying the affirmation 1,000 times without feeling. So you can repeat, I am confident, 1 million times even. And it's still more efficient to say, I'm confident, I'm so, like, like feel the emotion. Feel the, feel the feelings of you being confident. And I'll get to how I applied that today later. So that you basically have to feel the feelings and then, yeah, that's pretty much all I remember. But there are some other, there are like seven rules to follow. But that's like the most important to feel the feeling of it. Don't just be emotionless repeating it because the the heart cannot understand the words of the mind. The heart can only express. The heart can only understand feelings and and thoughts. I don't even think it can understand. I don't even know. But so I started doing that and I started, I actually used to do it all the time and I still kind of do it. I used to say, I'm a beast. Like I used to look at the world in the mirror and I'm like, man, I'm a freaking beast. And I used to like get so hype looking in the mirror and I would just, that would be my affirmation. And I'd feel that. And so that worked. And I still do it. I actually did it today. I just don't do it as often. I don't like focus on doing it. I just do it whenever it comes up. And, but what I added today was I'm confident, but man, I'm so confident with a smile. And I do it like with my chest puffing up, all proud and like being the man, you know? And so. Let me explain what happened today. Today, me and my friend went to the mall again. And for some context, if you guys haven't heard previous episodes, let me explain my whole comfort zone framework. 
a couple weeks ago, I decided that I wanted to build funnels for companies, local companies. So I sent emails to random local businesses. Now that was uncomfortable at first. Like the first email I sent was uncomfortable. And then it just got easier and easier. And to be honest, sending emails entered into my comfort zone the first day. It, that's how comfortable I was with it. And then I realized that no one was really responding, so I needed to call them. So I did cold calls. And the first three, I did like five cold calls over the course of two days. And the first one was extremely nervous. I was like, I was almost shaking. Like my voice was like quivering. I was really nervous. The second one was a little easier, like way easier actually. And then the next day I did three more and it was just a breeze. So then I realized that they wanted me to come in and I was like, okay, people aren't going to accept this help unless I go in person and talk to them. So I set myself and I actually, you guys can go back and hear, I'm pretty sure I did this around episode 15 or 16 maybe. Or I know that episode 20 was the last one that I did, but I set myself the goal or the, the intention to go visit one local business every single day in person. So go in person and give them, give them my pitch. Now, the first time I did it, I researched the business figured out the person's name that I needed to talk to and then biked all the way over. And let me tell you, before I even biked while I was doing the research, I was like, my pits were sweating. I was super nervous and I wouldn't talk to my, like I wouldn't talk to anyone because I just wanted to focus and I didn't want to like get distracted because I knew I had to do this, but I was extremely nervous. So I just left the house My dad asked me, like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm going to the flower shop. And then I just left. Like, I did not want to say anything because I was so nervous. And so then I went to the flower shop, which was my first dream customer. And I I went there. I was so nervous. I was, like, shaking. And then I went to their shop And it was closed. Like no one was there. It was closed for vacation for the next like two weeks. No, not even two weeks. Like five days, 10 days, six days. I don't know. So, and then I was like, I was almost relieved, but I was also disappointed. So then I was almost tempted to go home and be like, oh, well, that was my one go. And then I was going to go home and then try again tomorrow. But I was like, no. What would my friend Franklin say if he found out that I did that? And I, even though he wouldn't say anything bad, I just, that's a motivator. I don't want the, I don't want to have to say that I failed, you know? So that motivated me to go find the other flower shop in town. And I went to that flower shop and went in extremely nervous. I had to bike all the way across town. I was sweaty because it was like 90 degrees out and I was sweating. I went in there. I'm pretty sure my butt had sweat, like my shorts had sweat and I'm pretty sure they saw, but it doesn't matter. I went in and it was literally like 10 seconds. And then she was like, yeah, give me your number. I'll check this out later. And then she never texted, which was fine because that was the first time I did it and it was extremely uncomfortable. And then I grew from it. So then I, the next day I went to the next shop and went in and let me explain the first day that I went in at the fire shop, 100% discomfort. It was 100% anxiety, 100% nervous, 100% anxious, discomfort, everything, 100%. And then the second day, 50%. It was half, it was like the difficulty level was cut in half just by going once for 10 seconds. So then I went in literally 
five to six second conversation. And I was like, oh, okay, have a good day. Because she said, email, email the owner because she was just the employee. So then I was like, okay, have a good day. And that was 50% difficulty. So then I went to a new place on the third day. And when I went in, it was like 25% difficulty. It was so much easier. It was it was still a little difficult and I still had to use a little bit of willpower, but it was way easier. I didn't like have a numb brain like I did on the first time. So then it was literally 10 seconds, 15 seconds, and then I left. All of these were rejections. The fourth day I went to a new place and same situation except 10% difficulty. It was only 10% difficult. So imagine that four days ago, it was the, like, I thought I was about to die. It was the hardest thing I'd done all summer, what I did four days ago. And then on the fourth day, it was, it was like 10%. I still, it was still uncomfortable, still difficult. But then I was like, oh, nice. And actually on the fourth day, it was back at the place that I was going to go to on the first day, that first flower shop. And the fourth day I was like comfortable and she was, the employee was actually a girl my age and it was like, I was a lot better. And then on the fifth day, I actually, before I did that, I actually went to the mall. And let me tell you what I did at the mall because I d at that point of time, and this was like three weeks ago, maybe two or two and a half weeks ago. I don't know. At the point I had developed a framework, which I'm sharing to you right now. And that framework is it takes five days of doing something uncomfortable every single day for five days until it becomes comfortable. So then I was like, okay, yesterday, day four, was 10% difficult. So I imagine that this is going to get easy very soon, like even on the fifth day. And it will get comfortable. So then I, it won't be worth doing it anymore for expanding my comfort zone because it will be already be in my comfort zone. So then I remembered reading the four-hour work week. And in the four-hour work week, at the end of some chapter, many chapters, he puts comfort zone challenges. Now, some of the challenges were kind of like weird, I thought, because one of them was to hold eye contact, even like the whole time you're in a conversation, even while you're talking, which is actually pretty difficult if you've never tried it. So I actually did implement that uh, during the summer. And then there was a couple other comfort zone challenges, but the one, one of the last ones, I'm pretty sure the last comfort zone challenge was to, excuse me, was to cold approach girl or cold approach a person of the opposite gender. So what that means is you basically walk up. If you're a guy like me, you walk up to a girl and a girl, a random stranger you don't even know. And you basically start a conversation and ask for their number. Now, when I read that a couple months ago, I did not want to do it. I thought, no, I'm not doing this at all. So then I disregarded it quickly. But then on day four, let's go back to day four or day five, actually. Let's go back to day five of going into a local business every single day. I realized earlier that week that it was going to get too easy. So the next step was the next step of difficulty on increasing my comfort zone was cold approach. So I actually told my friend about this. And on day five, we went to the mall, a mall that's like 20 to 30 minutes away. So we would see a bunch of girls our age that were, not that didn't go to the same school or town that we are in and we did this for many reasons one it's a hot spot so there was a lot of girls so we had a lot of opportunities two 
if we got rejected, we wouldn't have to deal with the awkwardness if we actually saw them on a day-to-day at school. Three, if we got their number, we wouldn't have to deal with the awkwardness of us not texting that number and us not pursuing that. So we decided to go to the mall on the fifth day before I did my business. And we were there for probably two hours. It was a very long time. The first like hour and a half maybe, or maybe hour, we were just walking around aimlessly. Neither of us had talked to a girl at all. Neither of us had taken any action. We were just being wusses. And if you want to hear this explanation in real time, go to episode 20 and you'll be able to hear it. It's on a worse quality microphone, so I'm sorry about that. But we went to the mall and at the end of the day, eventually we just, we actually took action and talked to maybe 10 girls each. I don't know the actual number. We didn't count. And actually we... On the last day, I was like, or on the last like three, I was like, okay, let's just, I'm getting thirsty and I'm getting tired. Let's get two girls each and, or let's get one girl each and then head home. And then he was like, no, 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 I have to get one. I have to get two more because you're one ahead of me. So whatever. He got two and then I got the last one and the last one I actually got her number. So that was awesome. But what I'm trying to say is we did that the first day and it was the hardest thing we'd done all summer, even harder than the local businesses. But it was actually similar to local business in the sense to where we were, our our minds were numb. But I felt like I had an advantage over him because I had done, I had expanded my comfort zone over the past four days and I don't think he did, which I mean, he, it just wasn't in his actions of the day it just didn't come up to him so it's not like it's whatever you know so I was at an advantage and so yeah so then we realized that was so successful so then after like nine days we went again that was like last weekend we went again and if we go back to my framework it takes five days of doing something uncomfortable every single day to get it into your comfort zone. So ten, literally 10 seconds a day over five days. And we weren't doing it over five days. We were doing it like one day and then wait nine days. So we're not following the exact framework, but we basically on the first day, it was 100% difficulty. And then on the second day, nine days later, I'd say it was like 60% difficulty, 50% difficulty. It was still really difficult, but it was way easier. And it was quicker. Like we were there a lot less because we had set the task of five girls each. So we actually had a tangible number and five girls in the round. And it went quicker than last time. So that's progress because we didn't spend as much time dilly-dallying and just being a wuss. So then today, or the other day, yesterday actually, I realized we need to do it again. We need to get five times. We need to get this in our comfort zone. So I told my friend about it and we decided to go today which is Saturday. And we went to the mall today and each of us talked to five girls each. We each talked to one really hot one, one really hot girl. And that girl offered us, like I talked, we both talked to different girls, but we each talked to a very hot girl. And we found that if we talked to the hot, like the most hot girls, this is going to sound really weird. But bear with me. If we talk to the most beautiful girls, then it's the best because we just feel the best after that. Because it was when we first went, we would avoid the hot girls because we were too scared. But now we went for them. 
And the first girl I talked to was the hottest girl there. And she offered me her snap. I declined because I wanted her number and I was only accepting numbers. So, but that was, that was awesome. And then the last girl my friend talked to offered him her Instagram. He declined because for the same reason, he wanted the number. Even though we weren't going to use the numbers, it doesn't matter. We were just going to, like, it was just for our comfort zone. And today was the third day we went. And it was so much easier. It was almost in my comfort zone. It was probably, I would argue today was 10% difficulty. Like, we almost skipped a day. Because according to my framework, the third day is 25% difficulty. But I'd argue that today was 10 Maybe for me, but I, I don't know. I can't speak for my friend. It seemed like his was 10 as well because he was very comfortable as well. But on the first day, I probably had less than 10 second conversations. I wanted to get out of there ASAP. But today, like most of the girls that I talked to, I was like standing there with them and I was actually having conversations. So that was awesome. So why am I telling you all this? Ever since I started expanding my comfort zone, I've changed and I've grown. My confidence is so much better. My calmness around people, I'm just a different man now. And people didn't emphasize it enough, I feel. But expanding your comfort zone is one of the best things you can do. And I'm bringing it back to the slides, the affirmation of I'm confident. If you run that slide and you say that confirmation and then you talk to strangers, it doesn't have to be a girl. You just talk to strangers while running that. That will apply into your life quicker because of they just had a first impression of you. And then if you run it while running that slide and you talk to strangers, it will apply quicker and more effectively. And so what we did today was we actually used those slides while we were talking to the girls. So one, we expanded our comfort zone by talking to the girls by getting more comfortable around them and confident. But two, we were running the slide of being more comfortable while taking action. So it, it would apply to our life more quickly and, and effectively. So that's huge. And we're actually going to go again tomorrow. And I suspect it'll be significantly easier. Tomorrow will be day four. So we're going to have to try and figure out the next thing, the next uncomfortable thing. But let me get some water. I want to talk about this one thing about monotony of life. So there's this quote that I remember from Transurfing. I may or may not say it correctly how it was in the book, but Adam Zellin basically said to make it a point to destroy the habit of returning to the monotony of life after you experience something positive or Gain a positive emotion. So that he didn't say in that words, but basically, let me explain. We have, we as humans have a habit to, whenever something negative happens, that thought and that emotion reoccurs in our head and it stays with us for a long time. But then whenever something positive happens, we just dismiss it very quickly and then go back to the monotony of life, which is basically, basically return back to the game of life and return back to the grind, the hustle. And so what Vadim Zellin is teaching is to basically flip and actually reverse that habit. So disregard and dismiss all negative very quickly. 
like we do with the positives. But then make it a habit and make it a point because it'll be difficult in the beginning. Not difficult, but you'll have to remind yourself in the beginning. Every single time you experience a positive thing or see something positive, always rerun it in your brain. Let it stay in your mind for quite some time afterwards. Now, let me explain a story on how I applied this. So I read this a couple, like maybe a month ago. I read this part a month ago, let's say. And I did, I applied it right away, but then I kind of forgot about it. And then today I actually remembered it and I made it a point to apply it today. So there was one point where on the way home or no, actually on the way to the mall today, I was driving with my dad and my friend because I had to drop off my dad somewhere. But I was driving with them and we were driving and to the left of us was a block party. So if you imagine a block party, it's basically where the road is closed of your entire city block and you got and all the kids and adults hang out and you guys get to walk around in the street. So there was a block party and there was like bounce houses, all the kids were out playing. And then there was at the end of the block party, there was an ice cream truck, an ice cream man just sitting like parked at the end of the street playing the ice cream music. And I just thought it was so funny because he... Let me give some context. I've been studying, me and my friend have been studying marketing and we're learning that you're supposed to go where your dream customers are congregating. So go where your customers are already congregating. So if you're trying to sell like vegetable, fruits and vegetables locally farmed, then you want to go to the farmer's market because all of your customers are already going to be congregating at the farmer's market. And so we know that, and then we also know there's this term, I'm sure a lot of people know, but there's this video game term called camping. And it's basically where you're sitting in one spot waiting to do something. A lot of times you sit in one spot waiting to kill someone that comes in. And so me and my friend used to play video games, so we both know that term. And so when I, we saw that, dude was just sitting at the end of the block and I laughed and I was like super happy because I was like, that guy, no, that guy's like, knows exactly where his dream customers are. He's just waiting for his dream customers are. And then my friend Franklin, he said, he's camping at his dream in his dream market. And I'm not explaining it. I'm not telling the story very great, but Pretty much the moral of the story is I saw something that made me laugh and gave me joy. Excuse me, I just sneezed. Um, I saw something that made me laugh and gave me joy. And then usually the habit is to just disregard it and forget about it like within seconds. But I made it a point to keep recurring it in my mind and then actually like a mile down the road, I started laughing again because I remembered it again. And that's just, that's another point of transurfing. And then another time where I applied it today was at my gym. There's a, I'm sure you guys have been in this, but in a parking garage, you have to get the ticket. You have to click the button when you get in and get the parking ticket and then when you're leaving you have to insert the ticket into the machine and so when we were leaving someone else was leaving in front of us as well and she drove up to the ticket booth a little bit too far to where she couldn't just reach out and put it in so she like parked her car and unbuckled herself and like stood up in her car and had to reach all the way out. And I just thought it was really funny because it's just relatable. Like I've had to do that too. 
And it's, I thought it was hilarious. And so I kept that in my mind over, over a little bit. And then I forgot about it until just now. And it's just making me happy thinking about it. And that's another thing he talked about in Transurfing. Humor and being able to laugh at someone without causing any like trouble does not create excess potential. So it's actually a good thing to use humor and to laugh at people if if they don't if it doesn't cause discourse. So that's all some of the lessons I learned today. Very good stuff. Let me get some water. So looking forward, I'm still planning on doing that coaching thing. So keep a heads up for that. I won't be checking the... I actually believe that when this video goes live, I'll be checking the analytics. Because this video will go live on in five days from now, I believe. Because I have a five-day like supply of videos that are scheduled. So today, the day of recording is the 26th of August. And I think that this video will probably go live on the 31st, actually, maybe. I don't know. I'll figure it out. So tomorrow's video, then, is when I'll be checking analytics. Your guys' time, if you're watching this live. So I'll be checking the analytics, and if I'm at 400 to 500 views or downloads per video, per episode, then I will be... I'll begin to monetize, which monetization method that I'll be using is offering a coaching call, a private one-on-one, excuse me, private one-on-one coaching call with me. And we can go over where you're at in life. We can go over self-improvement and I can give you tips and instruction on how to move forward. And just have a good time. Now, I haven't decided the, the rate, the hour, I'd charge hourly, but I haven't decided the actual rate that I'd be charging. Possibly, I'm thinking, I'm leaning towards $50 an hour. Now, let me tell you the story of why. And I actually explained this, I think, two episodes back, but I'm going to explain it again. You actually have a moral responsibility to charge your customers more money because those who pay, pay attention. Now, let me tell you a story from Russell Brunson. Russell Brunson is a online marketer. He's the founder, one of the founders of ClickFunnels, which is a multi-million dollar a year, almost billion dollar. No, not probably not almost. I don't know. He's like $100 million a year easily in his in his business and he hosts live events sometimes many times actually and sometimes in live events he charges 1000 other times 20000 and then there's this one event where he charges $50,000 for the people to be in there so people pay $50,000 to be in that live event and then he offered a free ticket to, and this happened multiple times, he's offered free tickets, free admission to those live events to his like close family and friends. Now, he is, out of all the times that he's offered free admission to many of his close family and friends, none of them have gone on to build a successful business. Now, the people who paid $50,000 to get there, invested in themselves. And then they went on to build many, multi, many multiple and successful businesses, like millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. 
So the moral of the story is people who pay, pay attention. And that, and the people who paid $50,000 and the people who paid zero were both sitting in the same room hearing the same information from the same people. All the things were same, except one person paid 50K to be there and another person did not. And the person who did not, did not achieve any results. And the person who did achieved greatness. So that's one reason. Another reason is us, as, me as a business owner, it's my responsibility to put up a wall, not a wall, but put up barriers to get access to me. So in the beginning, since I'm just starting off, I'm okay having the barrier of entry very low to have direct access to me. But over time, as you start to expand your business, you had to put up more and more barriers to be able to get to you. So people have to pay more and more and buy more and more things to be able to have access to you. And you can see this in all of the big companies. Let's use ClickFunnels as another example. If you want to just watch Russell Brunson on a video, you can do that for free online. Or you can listen, read his book. Or you can listen, listen to his live, like a, a webinar, a recorded webinar, or all these things, low ticket items. Or you can pay $1,000 and see him in person, but you'll be sitting in a, a sea of, an audience of sea of people, 5,000 other people all listening to Russell Brunson live though, so that you pay more, but you get closer to him. You're not exactly near him, but, well, you are near him, but you're not exactly as close to him as you can get. And then you can pay like $10,000 to be in his mastermind. And then that is basically the same thing, a live event, but then it's it's a little bit less people, like maybe a thousand people, maybe 250 people. I don't know. Then you can pay 25,000. I don't know the exact numbers and what all of the things he offers, but then you can pay, I'm just giving you an example. You can pay 25,000 to level up to the next level of the mastermind and then 50 K to get to the highest level of the mastermind. And that highest level is like only 20 other people, maybe. And then, so you're one twentieth of his attention, basically. Not exactly, but you know what I mean. And then, and then you can pay like a million dollars is what what he charges to. I'm pretty sure it's even more, but you can pay a million dollars to get one on one coaching. So that's the barrier of entry to get access to him. A million dollars to have direct access to him. And he doesn't offer that to everyone. He, And he takes equity in their business as well. And he doesn't do that all the time either. He has people apply. And then he only picks a select few. So even then, he's not ever, it's not accessible to everyone, even if everyone has a million dollars. So that's what I'm trying to say is $50 an hour is very... I feel like it's extremely fair and extremely low number. I was either thinking $50 an hour or $100 an hour. But I'm leaning towards 50 right now, but this is not set in stone. And as I get more and more experience, I will definitely be increasing the price. But that's just how it is. And then eventually over time, I will either make the price so high that no one could afford it, or just not, not offer it anymore and then offer other things instead like webinars, challenges, live trainings, or I'll, as I get more experience working with customers, working with you guys, I'll be able to get, I'll be able to find common pain points amongst all these people and then I'll fix it basically. I'll provide a solution. That's basically where I'm at in the business. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode because I'm I'm looking forward to the future. Things are looking good. 
and I I think the future's looking bright. To wrap things up, don't forget to download your favorite episodes and subscribe to the Ascend Momentum Show. But before you guys leave, make sure to remember the Eagles.